the world will boil itself down to a point of absolute in or absolute out. And what we don't understand now is that it's always that way. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are your friends and mine, Karen. Good morning. And Amy. Good morning from the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and Tracy. Good morning. Yes, I was going to say it has been quite the week. Amy almost drowned and Karen was getting high and stoned this week. <laughs> Karen, what happened? <laughs> Karen, um, you want So I, this week I was way up higher in the air than I am comfortable being on a, a scaffolding that is not to code. Let's just say it that way. So that when I would step the boards, the two by whatever's I was standing on would bend. It would flex Mm. under my weight and I would just let out these terrified little meeps. It was not great. (laughs) I was refinishing a rock wall that was up in the peak of a church in the baptismal, like at the front of the sanctuary. Yeah, it was way up in the air. And... It was so, yeah. So I was not only high, but stoned, right? That's the joke, right? It was like a hundred degrees up there. Uh, there were spiders, there were cobwebs, there was four centuries worth of dust. That's a lie, but whatever, close enough. <laughs> and, and I actually felt terrible by the end of it just from inhaling junk. The first thing I did was I went up twice. I went up with a broom, like a heavy-duty broom, and I scrubbed the wall. I dry-scrubbed the wall with that broom. I knocked out any... I took off the dust, took down spider webs, anything that we'd get caught in this chalking solution that I was going to put on it, and uh, loose pieces of mortar, knocked it all out of there. So I was like in a dust and allergy storm. (laughs) Yeah, and she sent pictures to us as a group, and Tracy and I not being able to resist any opportunity at all to poke a little fun we related terrible puns and make terrible puns they were they were were good puns they were some of the best dad joke puns ever (laughs) i don't know if they were good (laughs) they were they were all situational to your to your plight of being so high in the air your altitude was great though (laughs) she had a great altitude Oh, uh, that that's just a that's just a sampling of it, folks. <laughs> you should have been there. Oh, I could read them. I like I could read them. <laughs> we were in raw form. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we're like, oh, we're powering it on today. <laughs> oh, but yeah, then 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 Amy was about ready to build an ark this week to save her horses. Holy smokes! <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. We had actually the the rain and the hail came faster than the flood, uh, the waters that came uh, in 1976 that caused that deadly flood up the canyon in Rocky mm. Mountain, from Rocky Mountain National Park down the Big Thompson Canyon. Um, we got two inches of rain in 20 minutes, and it was preceded by hail. Um, so yeah, it was quite devastating to our building project. And then my barn flooded and I had a 70 foot by eight foot by eight inch deep swath of hail in the barn that washed in. 
So it was brilliant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. The photos that we did not make fun of Amy with her photos. Let's just say that because right, uh, I would have cried. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, just, we did not. It was just kind of uh, one of those where your mouth drops open. And you're like, what do I say? <laughs> because right. nothing will make this better. You're just going to have to. <laughs> oh, well, no loss of life, not even. Yeah, no loss of life, not even a chicken. So That's good. I'm just praising <laughs> God and it was OK. Yeah, nothing, nothing terrible. So, yeah, unfortunately, we are looking for more rain this week, but now you're ready for it. You can handle it. And right. Not, now we have all these pumps on the property. We can pump water out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if not, you know that you've got folks that are just a phone call away. Oh, <laughs> I know. Your wife was so helpful. Oh, my goodness. She was all over it. Finding She, she was finding me places where I could put the horses. And one of them mm. is pregnant and trying, you know, very close to delivery. But then I thought, well, how would I get the horse trailer unstuck? Mm. <laughs> it's in the mud. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So it was a, it was a very, it was a very interesting week around here. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do what we came here for. We today are going to be talking about Matthew chapter 10. Now, we have been talking a lot about the, the teachings of Jesus and the way that he has been preparing people for, well, I guess, you know, just uh, thinking differently, doing things differently. And the chapter today, Matthew 10, begins with his calling of, it says the 12 disciples. I think we can uh, we can substitute the word apostles here, or at least I say it's it says disciples. That's in my New King James. Other translations might say it differently. Uh, and we actually, I think we touched on this before, but it's been so long ago that because we're really taking our time through these gospels, but uh, that uh, it's it certainly bears uh, re- some repeating here and maybe even a little discussion here because I think there's some interesting things to to bring out in Matthew's rendition of the calling of the apostles. So we're told that Jesus calls twelve of them. And there was a phrase here that that kind of rang out to me as 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 interesting. It says he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, do you think that this was like some sort of a special ability that he granted to the apostles for that time? Is this something that we should consider as available to us now or was it something specific for then what do you think i mean of course we're just speculating but i don't know what do you think because the other question i have on that is this what defines an apostle over just a basic disciple why are you using the word apostle well i guess that's the see that's what i'm saying the 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 title in my uh, in my Bible of this section is um, the twelve apostles. Yeah, but yet well, yet in the text it says forth, yeah in the text then it uses the word disciples and so that's and apostles yeah it does yeah. both so yeah so no anyway the the biggest question I have there though is is did Jesus grant these guys something special for right then or is this something that we should consider available to us and for some reason we don't see it i you know missed a couple of things this last week uh because 
of the flooding, but so maybe I missed something, but the text in Matthew 10 verse 2 in Greek actually does use apostolon, so apostles is correct. So is there something wrong with using that term? Is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. Oh, okay. Uh, and Karen was just wondering why I'm using that, that, mm. that, and because, yeah, it is in my, is, it is in the text of what we're reading. Right. Um, but it does, it seems to be a different phrase than just simply disciple. It seems oh, to right. indicate something, at least to me, it seems to indicate something kind of uh, above and beyond just a basic disciple, somebody just you know, having a basic following of Jesus versus potentially someone being uh, granted something special or maybe it's just a special closeness to Jesus. I don't know. Uh, okay, well, so oh, go ahead. The, the definition of a disciple is somebody who studies, right? Somebody who is sort of like a student of a certain set of doctrines or, or, or of a person, right? I think apostle, I think the definition of apostle is like one who is sent out. All okay. of that is exactly right. Yep. I agree. I agree. hundred mm-hmm. okay. percent. So, so it's not that they were different people. It's that they were entering a different role. Gotcha. They were still disciples. Mm, well, sure, sure. Yeah, I, yeah. My my. What I was getting trying trying to get across, I guess, is that they are, they are set as they set apart from a basic disciple, though, as an apostle, they're given a special mission, and like I said, the text seems like potentially they're given special abilities, something yeah. about them to be able to cast out spirits and heal people and and heal to you know get rid of diseases and stuff that doesn't i mean it's, i'm just talking from a personal perspective that doesn't seem to be an ability that i feel is at my disposal but i'm wondering it should i feel that should it you know should it be i don't know so you didn't do any of that yesterday you didn't raise the dead or cleanse the left i didn't <laughs> no no. Um, well, okay, so I think the key right here might be uh, verse 7, and he, he said unto them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so it is on that particular, like he's trying to send them out with the word of God to say to people, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. No more diseases, no more death, uh, no more, you know, oppression by these demonic forces and so i mean to me that kind of unlocks it and i think those things are available to us but at this moment in history for some reason it's not uh, the norm Mm -hmm. yeah I, i like that better i like it's not the norm and i think you have to proceed with caution there because i was i have a thing in my notes this week it it's been tried before and in the devil and the demons respond, you know, I know John, I know Jesus, but I don't know you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Tends to rip them up. Right. So I think it's, it's one of those proceed with caution. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Interesting. But do I think do I think Jesus gave them special abilities? You know, I think it's the time that they spent with Jesus, the faith that they had in Jesus, is mm-hmm. what kind of. Um, enabled them to do that. Mm-hmm. So I have not 
you know, directly cast out demons, of course. Um, but I do feel like the power that Christ gives us through the Holy Spirit has been active in my life for the ministry to my family. And so, you know, alcohol has by and large controlled my entire extended family. And so, and I, I do know that when I have let go of my urge to try to, you know, control these people or help these people or whatever, and just spend significant time on my knees, turning it over to the Lord. He has been able to act in their lives. And I have no idea how that works. I really don't. But I do know that he has changed things for people who have been controlled by what I believe is the demon of alcohol. Mm -hmm. And uh, because it owns my family. And, Mm -hmm. and I just am like, wow, God really helped. And you know, and intervened in ways that I could not have predicted. And so, so I, like Tracy was saying, you know, it's not the norm and yet it still happens in our experience with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I agree. It happens. I mean, I think we've all seen it happen other than perhaps a resurrection. We have right, certainly right. all seen God's working in someone's lives to turn it around, get them free of addictions, get them free of, you know, uh, lifestyles that have drawn them in the wrong direction. Um, but I have never like witnessed an exorcism. Like I said, I've never witnessed or performed a resurrection. Uh, actually, well, actually here, it doesn't talk about resurrections. I'm throwing that in on my, my own. Um, you know, yeah, I've raise, never raised the dead would imply that. Yeah, I think so. Possible because we do see indicate or uh, we do see times when some of the apostles are involved in that. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe mm-hmm. that's in Acts, but uh, nineteen fifteen so is is the one that I I refer to as as be careful because if you don't know what you know what you're doing, maybe is mm-hmm. a little bit harsh. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you if you tread too lightly on that, mm-hmm. um, it might not go your way. Yeah, I mean, I you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try to battle demons, yeah, you can't. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 that's a serious that's a serious deal. But, you know, uh, but I I agree with Amy too. I think I think um, Jesus gives you the power, and it's mm-hmm. and it's I think too. You know, where two or three are gathered, where you mm-hmm. pray for people, you pray earnestly for people that that are struggling with these. You know, addictions are one of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I think exorcism is on the far, far spectrum of that. And, but I think too, you do, we, we are given that power to say, you know what, if you put your, your, your faith in Jesus and you pray earnestly about something, I think it can turn the tides. Mm -hmm. I absolutely believe that. Mm -hmm. I do too. I really do. Yeah. Okay. Well, as the apostle apostles, as the apostles are named, then there's kind of some stuff here that I found a little interesting that I'll point out and I'll see what you guys think about it. We're given names, Simon Peter, Andrew, who is Simon's brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, who is James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labaius Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. Now, what I find interesting about some of these names, um, especially for the time period, is who was chosen. Uh, some of those names sound rather Greek rather than Hebrew. 
Uh, and of course, all of these are like, I don't know, would you call them anglicized versions of names? Uh, I'm sure that Matthew probably wasn't, wasn't pronounced Matthew at the time. A lot of these, you know, but like um, James, the son of Alpheus, that sounds like a rather Greek name. Mm-hmm. Labeus Thaddeus. I mean, if that isn't Greek, you tell me what is then. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. so that, you know, these are guys, at least my take on this is that these aren't Jews. These aren't, um, you know, people who have been in the, I want to I, I say culture, but I suppose that obviously they are in the culture. They're there, you know, uh, but, but these would have been people who I guess it seems to me might have been, came in from the outside, you know, and Jesus is choosing them as like his inner circle. Uh, Matthew, the tax collector, we've talked a lot of times about the way people thought about tax collectors. Um, Simon, the Canaanite. I mean, that to me sounds like, you know, somebody who was absolutely an outsider because while this is, I guess, the land of Canaan, calling him a Canaanite to me would indicate, again, not of Jewish descent, you know, not a descendant of Abraham. Uh, and then Judas Iscariot, you know, if we assume that Jesus knew what was coming, the fact that he still included Judas is quite the quite the testament testament there as well. So just the fact that Jesus brought these guys in from all these different walks of life and relative outsiders to me it was very interesting that that he would that he would do that. Uh, okay, so as I understand it you know like simon is a a jewish name um Mm -hmm. matthew is a jewish name and matthew of course was the one who most clearly uh tried to delineate the fulfillment of prophecy with christ so he is very much interested in his culture which is judaism i i don't know about all the rest of them but i have always assumed that they were all jewish so i guess that's the end of my knowledge on that yeah same same. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Just some of the, some of those names to me sounded rather non-Jewish to me, but um, but but don't could you be wrong. Find, don't you find that names don't necessarily only go with that society that that baby is born in? I suppose you're ter- you're right there. I, I um, guess one other thought is, you know, we've been almost two hundred years under Greek control, and then the Romans come. Mm-hmm. So, so I don't I don't know. Like, aren't we? Some things may have changed simply because the culture did change. So these could these could be uh, Hellenized. So you know that whole world had been yes. influenced by Greek culture. Yeah, it was, so, it was all so the craze. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it could be. Yeah, it could be something as simple as mom and dad liked the sound of that name, and and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so could be. But I don't know. Everything I know about Jesus was that he wasn't. <sighs> He didn't feel bound by traditions and and too much by uh, cultural norms. Jesus was going to do what Jesus was going to do. I wonder if a little bit of this is answered by verse five. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. So Mm. he's, uh, you know, he's sending them first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as the next verse says. Mm -hmm. So he's interested in starting with the people who you know, as Paul said, had the oracles of God, like they understood or they should have understood the mission of God was 
that Judaism was intended to be uh, a light to the world. And so he kind of seems to want to start there because it's not like he de- it's not like he excludes Gentiles or Samaritans, but he starts uh, among the Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was something I was going to point out, too, is that the where he's starting because he very specifically says don't go to Gentiles or Samaritans, uh, which mm-hmm. we know is not, you know, he wasn't going to limit there forever. But for right now, start here, start with these people, says the lost sheep. Mm-hmm. Um and he has already gone to one Samaritan. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's very clearly not, uh, this is not the only people who this message is for, but right now mm-hmm. we're going to deal with this group. Right. Um, which, you know, sometimes is, I think even sometimes, you know, as a church, we feel like we should be very evangelistic and we should be bringing people in and, and, and such, but if you're in a congregation where people they want to follow Jesus, but maybe there's a little question about how things are going, maybe it's not the time to be reaching out, putting the fingers out everywhere to draw everybody in. Maybe maybe there is a time to just let's just work right here. Let's let's get people back on board. Let's get people back into where we where they're intended to be. Um and yes, the evangelism will come later, but right now we got to do this. We got to work right here, you know, and to me, it sort of seems like what Jesus is doing He's like, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But right now we got, we've got the people yeah. right here that need this. So to me, that's kind of what is happening here. And Jesus is telling them, preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, now, we've talked here several times about how when he says the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about a worldly kingdom. He's not talking about, you know, a place with walls. And he's talking about a mindset. He's talking about a philosophy. He's talking about a movement of people who are working towards the goals that Jesus has, those goals of love and healing and reaching out to other people, uh, not just let's get rid of the Romans. Let's get rid of these oppressors. Let's, uh, but rather let's, let's work on our hearts. Let's work on how we relate to other people. Let's work on how we uh, interact with them, how we, we invite them in um, and how we welcome them. And here again, he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. See, I knew that one came in somewhere here. That's why I was thinking <laughs> that, that uh, cast out demons. And so again, it has me just wondering, is this? I mean, especially the raise the dead part. That one is the one, you know, that that gets that gets me is being a something for right then. Maybe not specifically for us. I can remember a few years. The, what, the reason I keep coming back to this is I remember a few years ago, and maybe you guys remember this story. There was a couple whose son died from some illness. I don't remember. And they refused to have him embalmed. Or anything for several days. They they kept him in the home for several days, and they were adamant that God was going to resurrect the boy. It obviously, didn't happen, or we would have the world would have exploded with uh, you know with that story. Um, eventually, they had to concede that the boy was not going to be resurrected. He was not going to come back to life. You know, and even though they spoke out 
strongly about their faith on that, it just became clear that that was not going to be granted to them for whatever reason. And so that's why that's why I keep coming back to that and going, huh, did, did were, was that for right then? Was that for that moment? Because I've I've never witnessed an instant healing. I have never witnessed an exorcism. I have certainly never witnessed a resurrection. But that doesn't that doesn't change my faith in the possibility for it to happen. It just raises question. Is it an ability specifically in that exact fashion? Don't know. But he tells them, don't take any money with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take extra clothes. He says a worker is worthy of his food. Uh, Now, that's kind of a that is interesting to send send these men out for a purpose and basically say. Go unprepared. And I don't mean unprepared for what you're, you know, the things you're going to say, but just don't. Don't go thinking that you need to uh, provide for yourself while you're out on this mission. A worker is worthy of his food. Do you think that that is Jesus saying God's going to provide for you? See, in my notes right here, I just have, it just says be all in. I I put in big letters. They have to be all in. Mm -hmm. It's it's total 100% faith saying, you know what, if you're going to go out, go out 100%. It's because this is what I'm giving you. I'm willing to give you all this um, at your disposable, at your disposable. But you have to go in 100 percent. You have to have that 100 percent faith. Yeah. Yeah. Don't uh, don't don't go in thinking any of this is on you. This might not work. I better bring my lunch. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's hard for us to do because we're we're used to having to prepare. Yeah, all of that goes completely against my planning little heart. Mm-hmm. But I've always taken it to mean when it says a worker is worthy of his food, not like, well, you know, if you preach a good enough gospel and people like to hear it, they'll feed you. That I didn't take it that way. I took it as you're working for God. God will feed you. Mm-hmm. That's the way I've always kind of just sort of understood that in my head. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, and it would, you know, it sort of would, from what we read beyond this, it would indicate that there is an implication that the people that you're preaching to will take you in. Some will, some won't. Uh, but just be, just be assured, essentially be assured you're going to be taken care of during this. And so that's, that's a, that's kind of a cool concept or, uh, yeah, um, yeah, kind of a cool concept that that Jesus is is placing on them of like Tracy said, just go all in and don't worry. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to be fine. He says, uh, I don't remember how he put it, but in my notes, I wrote down, stay and work with whoever is is worthy. And I put worthy is kind of in quotes here. Whoever is worthy. If someone won't take you in or listen to you, he says, shake the dust from your feet and move on. I can resonate with this somewhat because there's no point in wasting your time if nobody's going to listen. Work with the people who are receptive. Don't tear your hair out trying desperately to convince somebody who just isn't interested. 
Well, I think some of this goes back to like what we were talking about in our in our last episode, which is the parable of the sower. The seed is the same. The call to go out and be a sower is the same. Mm-hmm. But when you if you are the sower and you are called to sow right then and you notice that this that the soil that you're trying to sow in is not prepared for the seed, then don't sow right then. Like to me, that's just kind of what it goes down to. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or as you cast the seed out and you see that, oh, that's just not growing. Don't sit there trying to harvest that because it's it's going to amount to nothing. It's not going to be worth your time. Yeah, because yeah. You, I mean, you've got to leave room and time for, oh, let's just throw all the, all the, all the, um, well, anyway, okay. So let's just throw all the comparisons out there. Like, you know, you got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to do their work. You've got to pay attention to the fact that they're, they may not be in the right season. They may not be in the right place. That doesn't mean forever. It just means right now. So mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a call to pass judgment or give up on them. It's a call to recognize what's happening in front of you. Yeah. That's how I kind of make sense mm-hmm. of that. There's another passage where it says, pray for every man. And so there is a sense in which you can continue to pray. Well, not a sense in which I'm like, we're commanded to continue to pray for even those individuals who have rejected the gospel or whatever. But then on the other hand, we have this, um, you're set free from trying to convert other people. Like that is the work of the Holy Spirit and you've done your task. So move on. And, and, and I like the fact that it, it also sort of is telling us, you know, those individuals who are presenting the gospel, you know, the, the people who are um, coming around and preaching and all that, it's okay to give them money. Like it's, it's right to support their ministries. If they're mm-hmm. really preaching the gospel and doing the work of Christ, then it's right to support them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. No, no, I agree. I agree. Um, because you know, that's their, that's their, that's their means and their, you know, their means for living. And I mean, let's face it, somebody who is spending their time, all right, this is going to sound horrible, but I'll try to understand what I'm saying though. Someone <laughs> who is spending their time solely spreading the gospel, they're not producing, get what I'm saying? They're not making something. They're not, um, you know, they're, they're providing intellectual uh, uh, value, I guess, which is, of course, valuable. But I don't know. I'm, my foot is so far in my mouth on that one now. That, <laughs> but uh, um, some people might see it as putting out something for nothing. I kind of see what you're saying, though. And it, I think it's hard to say sometimes if it's if there's a tangible thing for evangelism where you can't feel bad if you only baptize one person and in, in you're preaching to a million people. It's like. That one person is most important. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's it, it can't be quantified by saying, oh, you need to baptize every single person there. And I think that's what this is kind of saying. It's like you can go there and you can spread the message and you could do it 100 percent. And it just might not be the time. Yeah. You know what? Pick up your stuff. Move on. You've mm-hmm. planted all the seeds. I'll do the rest. You know, and it's, we want to quantify things, you know, that's the society we live on. We want, we want to have, oh, you have a certain quota you need to meet. And, you know, and I feel bad. I feel bad sometimes for, for pastors and stuff like that. When it's like, man, people are getting on me because I haven't baptized anybody in a year. You know, you can't quantify it like that. Right. 
Right. And then, but then, so us as believers, if we can recognize that the message is sound, if we can recognize that this is a person who is following Christ, is spreading the gospel, um, we maybe even have a responsibility then to support them. Uh, and I, I know there's, there could be some people out there who have those televangelists in their mind who are always, you know, they're there with their hand out all the time and then they, they have their private jet and they, you know, they're driving their Cadillac or whatever. But, um, I, I, you know, we, we have an ability to differentiate between someone who is just using, using the gospel as a means for gaining wealth versus those who are spreading the gospel and are subsequently being supported uh, in that effort. You know, we, me and uh, me and my wife were talking, and we had our our baptismal um, Sabbath was what two weeks ago now. Yeah. Well, we listened to um, Joel Olstein, and he had one on the same day, and mm. he baptized nine hundred people. Wow! And we were like, our nine nine hundred. And we looked at each other, it was almost simultaneous, and it's like, but it's all for the kingdom, so it doesn't matter the numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, we you can't look at it like that and say, man, but but I could understand how maybe some some ministers might be going, man, I've toiled in this field for so long for nine people, mm-hmm. and somebody else just baptized 900 on the same day. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be disheartening, mm-hmm. but I think we can't look at it that way. No, it's it's all for the kingdom, and one soul is 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 as precious as nine hundred. So my dad was a minister, and I remember sort of later in his life, he died young, but later in his life, he was looking back on his years of ministry, and he was basically saying, "Well, I'm really not sure how I feel about the years that I've put into ministry." And I do remember he used to complain that it was a uh, like on a personal level, it was a low, tangible satisfaction line of work, right? Yeah. And so, like, it's long, slow work, like shepherding a group of people. And, you know, people in groups aren't known for their intelligence. There's a reason the Bible refers to us as sheep, right? And he, you know, sometimes he would have all of the patience for it, and sometimes he would get frustrated, and he would wish that there was higher a higher rate of return or a higher, a higher, at least you could see that you were making some impact. And I remember him saying like, I don't really know if I've done any good. Mm. And there's been plenty of baptisms and whatever, but then like you baptize somebody and, and a few years later, they're, they're back living how they used to live and they may or may not come to church. And so he goes like, I don't know how to measure. I don't know how to quantify the work that I've done, Mm -hmm. but I, I'm afraid that I haven't done any good. So back to our parable of the sower, you have to make room for that person to still live out their lifeline, their timeline. Yeah. And you have to leave room for the Holy Spirit to reach their heart and make the internal changes that result in long lasting external changes. And if you can find me a human who has picked a path in life and then always stuck to it with no deviations, I will give you the title of my house because I don't think that exists. See? Mm-hmm. So I I get it. I get it. That's that's frustrating work, but at the same time, you're not responsible for it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I think that's that's really what Jesus is trying to point out there is 
is do what you're there to do. Yep. Work with those who will respond. If they yep. don't respond, just move on. Just move mm-hmm. on and don't don't stress that uh, that those people aren't listening. And I guess, you know, in in some of it is probably try to focus on that positive. Our speaker at church yesterday, he began as our as our pastor has just gone on vacation, he began by telling us that we as human beings have a tendency to uh, remember negative comments 10 times longer than we remember the positive. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. And I I I think this is Jesus is speaking against that mentality of of uh don't focus don't focus on that negative or reminding us don't focus on the negative focus on the positive things focus on where where there is progress leave leave the non-progress behind um and that's hard for us and i think that humanistic part makes it really hard because i think the negative comments hurt us the most oh absolutely they, they cling to us the most where the good stuff you're only as good as the last time you got a good comment. Yeah. That's you know, you and feel. yeah, that's the way it feels. Mm-hmm. So to me as a, as a Christian, I, I, I try to remember, I'm not always great about it, but I always try to remember, let my pastor know when I think that his message was good, that his work is good. Try to lift him up as much as possible, knowing that there are others who are tearing him down. So, <clears throat> If you think back over the everything we've learned about, oh, like in the, all in the Old Testament, like we're we're now we're dipping into the Gospels and whatever. We spent a long time in the Old Testament, and like think about the number of times that God said to His people, basically, "I'm over here. Why are you chasing gods that are over there? I'm right here. I'm doing everything I can to get your attention and to prove to you that I can take care of you. Why won't you keep your attention on me? So that's the God of the universe. That's who created us. That's who Hmm. gave us this free will. So if we, as tiny little uh, fallen created creatures, if we think that we're going to go out and be better, (laughs) yeah, then God talking mm-hmm. directly to his people, it's not going to happen. So it's all a work in progress. The harvest is the Lord's. It's our job to spread, you know, sow the seed whenever we're called to be a witness, be a light, show God's character, do all the things. But ultimately, the harvest is God's. Mm-hmm. And as much as we care about it, as much as we invest our pride and our ego and our whatever into it, it's still not ours. Well, yeah, and that's largely what a lot of the rest of the chapter is speaking to is Mm -hmm. Jesus warning people like the very when we get into the next section, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, Right. You know, that's that's a pretty that's kind of a graphic picture to to see. You know, I mean, imagine what's going to happen to a sheep if it finds itself in in a pack of wolves it's going to get torn apart you know and he's warning them here of that but i don't think he's warning them to make them afraid i think he's warning them to say expect this this is what you're going to encounter i'm still sending you out but expect that this is going to happen so that you're not surprised by it when it happens so that you're prepared for it when it happens and then you can you can respond accordingly 
Yeah, he's definitely not telling them. I mean, he's definitely giving them a, a very clear heads up. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Mm-hmm. Right. And he, and he says, you know, be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and and as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles, right? So you're going to get hauled into very uncomfortable places because it is your job, it is your calling as apostles, right? Disciples who are being sent out that that you are to be this witness. and and But don't worry about what to say. At the time, you will be given what to say. It will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father. And then he goes on to say, you know, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Mm -hmm. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. Yeah. So, yeah, don't don't be surprised. Don't go into this thinking everything's going to be sunshine and, and flowery meadows. Yeah. And so here's his sort of culmination of his speech. He says, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house, Jesus, has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? Right. So what I have here, too, in my notes is what a job description. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, hey guys, here's your here's your job description. What do you think? Well, you know, sign me up. It, it's it's a large task, but he, just like Karen said, he's he's letting them know what to expect. This mm-hmm. is going to be great, guys. But yeah, the reward, the reward is heavenly, but mm-hmm. on earth it's not going to be great. Right. Well, it goes back to like you said before. If you're going to go into this, you got to go all in. You've got to, you know, if you believe in the message that Jesus is giving, not the message that people, you know, because right now, especially in our time, we have outsiders who are trying to portray Christians and Christianity as evil, bigotous, hateful people. But if you're really going to believe in the message that Jesus has, and you're really going to live into that, understand there are people who are going to balk at that. They are going to fight you on it. And you have to go all in and toughen up your skin a bit. Well, this is this is where the gospel um, gets a little bit tough, right? Like a lot of times the gospel is full of God's love and grace and mercy. And then there's other times where we realize this is a battlefield and earth is the front lines and it can get really ugly. So he says some interesting things here going on in verse 26. He says, so after listing off all of these things and saying, if the master of the house has been called, has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of the household, right? So then he says, do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Mm -hmm. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So then he gives this kind of famous comparison. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not be afraid. You You are worth more than many sparrows. 
How many dead animals and birds do we see on a daily? Oh, probably so many that we don't see them anymore a lot of times. Yeah, so I, I live fairly close to an interstate highway and, and it is the main thoroughfare to get from town to town. The amount of roadkill is astounding sometimes and horrific. And so that's what I'm getting at here. This isn't a promise that because your father has his eye on you, you will escape harm. It's that there is an ultimate judge who sees everything and keeps a tally and mm. that this earth is not permanent. I think that's where the, the reassurance is. Mm. And um, then in verse 34, it says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And then he goes on to say, if you love anything on this earth more than me, you're going to have trouble. Mm -hmm. So this is the all in part that Tracy was talking about. Like this whole passage is, are you in or are you out? Because ultimately, like we spend most of our lives shooting for mediocrity. It seems like we got one mm -hmm. foot in, we got one foot out. Like sometimes we're super excited about the gospel and working for Christ. And other times we're like, yeah, but I'm comfortable. And I like my lattes this temperature, right? <laughs> yeah. In the end, when it comes down to it, the world will boil itself down to a point of absolute in or absolute out. And what we don't understand now is that it's always that way. Mm. I think at the end of time, we'll feel it. It will be playing out in a visible way. But in truth, it's always that way. You're either all in or you're not. Mm -hmm. Hot or cold. Yep. Hot or cold. Yeah. When when Jesus says that in Revelation, you know, don't, and he, and you know, when he says that, it's because you, you really can't play the fence on this thing. You you just can't. And I think that's what, that's what this whole last half of this chapter is talking about. You You've got to be all in. You have to you have to believe in this message. You have to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in in it to the point that you are willing to give up everything else for it. Like we were talking last week about the man who finds the precious pearl or the man who's digging in in the field and and finds the treasure. You have to want it to the point where everything else, family, fortune, Comfort, everything else is secondary to this. Yeah, verse 37 is really <clears throat> like the culmination of everything we're saying here. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Mm -hmm. He's not yeah, missing words. No, he's not. And if you read Luke's rendition of that, he actually uses the word hate. Now, of course, it's in comparison. Right. You have to infer that, but you know, he says, if you don't hate your father and mother, well, in comparison to your love for Christ, for the, your love for, for his message in the kingdom. Yeah, so uh, not just second, but a distant second. Yeah, distant second uh, to, to where it would seem like absolute contempt if you chose the, the kingdom over your family. Um, yeah, not worthy of him. That's that is quite the statement that is an all or nothing all in you either do this or you don't and um 
it it certainly requires a commitment. And so yeah, it is important for us to know going into it what we're going to be up against and then to still be willing to go along. That is an all in attitude. You know, he says, uh, it's a phrase. We maybe even talked about this first, this before 39. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Yeah. Meaning that our true purpose is in Jesus. And if we insist on following our own passions, that life is lost. If where where we are, what we're created for is in Jesus, is in that cooperation with God, is in that um, that existence that God has for it that is beyond physical comfort right now. It's beyond physical satisfaction right now. It's it's beyond, you know. And and uh, if if we just settle now for those comforts, yeah, you know, we might feel we might feel good right now. But one day when we learn what we could have had, uh, we'll we will be sorely disappointed in ourselves. Well, and this is a real trick. And I know I know I've brought this up a number of times over the last couple of months, but like this is a real trick. I mean, the Bible tells us flat out, you've never seen it. You've never heard it. You can't even imagine it. Right. Mm. We're asking we're being asked to give up allegiance to everything we can see, hear, feel and handle in favor of something that we that we have never seen, we've never heard, and that we're told flat out is beyond our imagination. That's hard. Is it any wonder we get distracted by whatever it is that makes us happy here and now? Shiny. Shiny. Shiny thing over over there. Yeah. So squirrel. Squirrel. What? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I had an interaction (laughs) online, but it was with a guy who I have since had much less interaction with because his views and mine were just so far apart that I... Decided it was better to just part ways at the time. Better but, for your blood pressure. Yeah. Um, but one time he had posted something along the lines of, and it's it's been a lot of years since he since he wrote it, but it was something along the lines of religious people are taking a great gamble with their lives to follow their religious beliefs. And I had to question that. I was like, what am I gambling? I mean, really think about it. What am I gambling? You know, am I if I if I'm giving up some creature comforts now, if I'm giving up a party lifestyle, if I'm giving up, you know, some brief moments of pleasure, what am I ultimately giving up? What is the gamble there? Because if everything that we've been talking about for going on three years plus years is untrue and I get to the end of my life and I die, what have I lost? absolutely nothing because if there's nothing past my death anything i've done here is is maybe i won't use the word pointless but it's moot it does it's just it amounts essentially to nothing but if the things that i believe are true and i get down the road there's immense reward there so it's like i don't see a gamble i don't see a gamble where it's like the only outcome is nothing which i would have anyway or amazing reward. And now my board is lighting up with hands. I think Amy was first. And then Karen. Well, <laughs> well, you just articulated Pascal's wager. 
very clearly, yeah. you know, that's something in philosophy where Pascal said essentially exactly what you said. Like, what have I lost? I've lost a party lifestyle. What have I gained? I had a good relationship with my family because I chose, you know, that healthier lifestyle. But I also gained eternal life and absolute victory and, you know, all these like promises of God. And then what Karen was saying had reminded me, of course, of Hebrews 11, uh, talking about Moses, for he forsook being the, the daughter of Pharaoh. So he would have been the king. Uh, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured seeing him who is invisible. And so, you know, that's our task. Like we have to keep in mind all the time, the spiritual realm and the presence of Christ in our lives. And then we'll see beyond this tinsel town that we live in. See how wise I am. I'm, 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 you're Pascal, baby. <laughs> yeah, I didn't never even heard of Pascal. So, well, other than... <laughs> you just said exactly. Yeah. He wrote a whole book about it. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so wise. Uh, I think Karen was next. Oh, gracious. I didn't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, I do remember what I was going to say. So, I've had this argument with myself over the years. And other people, like I've I've been close friends with uh, a number of people who were who were atheist or agnostic, and they were questioning, you know, like either actively questioning me or actively questioning internally, and it would come out of conversation. And the thing that I would always come down to is my natural inclinations are not good. Like I'm I'm not a good person without God in my life. Mm. So. I've had to reconcile it that way. Like if I get to the end of my little timeline of life and it turns out there's nothing left, I have at least been a better person. And that's yeah. kind of how I've come, come to grips with it. Mm-hmm. 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 And the atheist might argue that you don't have to be a Christian to be a good person, uh, which is, you know, potentially true. To which my response but- is, I do. <laughs> you know, they go, and they, and they, they, you know, they they might say, well, then you're a weak person, but okay, so you still go, me. Okay, I, get to well, I know, I know Karen, and she is not a weak person. No, of course not. No, <laughs> no, I'm not trying to apply that at all. I'm just, I'm just articulating an argument that I've heard many times. Like, well, I, you know, uh, one time I think it was uh, Jesse Ventura when he was governor of wherever he was. He was like, yeah, religion, Minnesota. Thank you, and. uh he was like, religion is for weak people. And I was like, okay, fine. I'll take right. that. It, it actually you know, says that in the tenets. Why, <laughs> at the end of the day, if it makes me a better person, why do you care where I'm where I'm getting my motivation? You know, why do you care? See, I think about that too. And, and I agree with what everybody is saying here is that it's not a huge trade-off. Yeah. Because you look at it and you, you live a life of uh, following Jesus and it eliminates that stuff. It eliminates your worry. You know, it, it it's on a lower plane than the average person does. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at your um, interaction with your family that was brought up, um, how you feel about yourself. It takes away a little bit of the stress of everyday obstacles that people encounter in the world. You know, we have people that come up to us a lot and say, you know what, there's something about you guys. There's a certain certain peace that you have. That goes a long way, especially knowing Jesus. And that and that's one of those benefits that you get when you do. 
sure you live a life and people are like, oh, but you missed out on this and that. But you know what? A lot of those things that you look at, they have consequences at the end. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that being a Christian, you'll avoid those, Mm -hmm. but you take those in a different stride because you have something to look forward to. You have a goal. You tend to be around like-minded people, which help. Um, So there's definitely benefits to being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even as it, as it transpires and what you were saying, there's a point in there that I was thinking, you know what you were saying? It's all for nothing or uh, it's a mute point, but you know, the people that you impact along the lives are a lifetime. Um, Mm -hmm. I look at, you know, you could have a positive outlook on, uh, or you could have a positive impact on somebody and not even know it. One of those, you know, younger people that are going to down the road say, you know what, Matt did this for me and I've kept it going for ages that's what carries on. And, and I think that's the hope is that, you know what, allowing Jesus to work through me, you know what, it's going to impact others down the road and, and continue this where people are going to want to live a Christ-centered life. Yeah, at the very least, I, pro- I, may, have, I ha- may have made somebody else's life better. And that's, that's not for nothing. Tracy may not even realize that he's doing this, but uh, Tracy, you articulated something that's so central to what we're talking about, and that's the presence of Christ in your life. So we're talking about this from what if I choose this? What if I choose that? But you've already chosen. And so in reality, Christ is present in everything that you're doing, and you're seeing his activity in your life. And so you're no longer in that sort of ethereal or philosophical, um, rhetorical place where you're thinking in terms of, well, what if I choose this? What if I choose that? Because you're actively involved with Christ and living with God, um, you're seeing his activity in your life. And so the question goes away. Like, don't you feel like the question just dissipates? Cause you're like, Oh wait, I'm hanging out with God. And this is awesome. And I made I, my choice. I made my choice. And now I can see his activity in my life. And mm-hmm. I can, I can feel the fact that my responses have changed. I can tell that I'm uh, no longer trying to defend myself. Cause I know that I have a defender. Um, I'm not trying to prove that I'm somebody, you know, like anything like that, that all just goes away. Isn't it Paul? Didn't Paul say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right. Right. And so when you see that, I mean, yes, we're discussing this from that philosophical perspective, but in reality, um, I don't think any of us at this point would, would walk away. No, I no, no, I don't want to. Because we've seen how we've seen how good he is to us. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen how he cares for us and and teaches us. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Karen, you want to sing the song? I have decided <laughs> I'm gonna live like a believer. Turn my oh. back on the deceiver. How's Amy that going? Grant, baby, that- Amy, you already Grant. did it. But thank you. <laughs> I was actually thinking the song that was running through my head is uh, "Yet Not I, But Christ." In me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The final point made in here. I, I really like the way that Matthew closes this speech by Jesus, because this has been another one of those sections chock full of red letters. But the way he finishes, uh, or, or, you know, the conclusion that he attributes to Jesus here is you know after we've talked about all this okay expect people are going to be 
hounding you, expect that people are going to be persecuting you. But he ends with essentially those who accept you as an ambassador for him, for Jesus, are accepting Jesus himself. I don't remember exactly how he says it. He who will receive you receives me. So if they will receive you and the message that you are presenting, they are essentially receiving Jesus. So if they're not going to listen, shake your feet off. If they do listen, they are accepting Jesus and, and take encouragement in that. And then the, like the very last thing he's like, and a simple kindness, the simplest kindnesses will be rewarded. And he says, like giving a cup of cold water to a child. I mean, that's one of the simplest things you could really do. Oh, a kid is thirsty and I can give him a glass of water. And that's something that's going to be rewarded. You know, our mindset would be like, really, that's nothing. I mean, who wouldn't do that? We know there's some people who wouldn't, but he's like, just, just the simplest of kindnesses will garner reward. And so take heart in that, that there are people who will listen. The simplest things you do are, are worthy. So am I, Mm. So I'm supposed to stop screaming, get off my lawn? Is it? <laughs> I'm afraid so. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> afraid so. Yeah. You know, instead of screaming at the kids on your lawn, maybe offer them some lemonade. Of course, then there's the parent, the people up the street who are going to think that you're awful. Sister. For, Take out your mower and tell them if you're going to stand on mow it while you're on at it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> while you're there. <laughs> but simply be kind. Just show kindness. And that is a, such a large part of the messages that Jesus is there to, to try to get people to accept. And that so many people are so adamant against. And it is just baffling that this is the message that jesus got killed for just be nice just show some kindness just show love towards people even the people you don't like and and that's what you'll get rewarded for uh it's just a it's a it, it's such a, amazing that that is what could bring persecution of course you know i mean we know that we try to promote people to have better lifestyles than they maybe they they do but the, the, the underlying principle of it all is love and kindness and charity and goodness. And I want better for you than you have right now. That's the underlying message here. And so if people will accept that, understand they are accepting Jesus, I guess, on your behalf. And that's, you know, that's our, that's always our prayer here too. Before we start, I always pray that. What we do here will bring people closer to Jesus. So that's the only thing we're here for. And, uh, and so I hope that I really do pray that that is the result of um, what happens here. Any final thoughts? We kind of we kind of glazed over those last few bits, but there was a lot of um, a lot of similar message. Yeah, there was a passage where he says, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel before. Where is that? Oh. Verse 23. For very uh -huh. I say unto you, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man come. And I, I guess I just thought we should talk about that. What does it, well, okay. What do you, what does that mean to you? 
so I looked up some some of the words in Greek because I was like, wait a second, you know, and um, maybe you guys already knew this, but it did make me think. And I thought, I wonder if other people have stumbled over that. Uh, I must have heard a sermon on it at some point or something because I have notes in my Bible. Um, he uses the word erkomai here, um, which is sort of implying be seen in glory um, and not parousia. Uh, which is the word he always uses for the second coming. So I don't know. I guess I just thought we should talk about that. And I kept thinking we would. Um, <laughs> well, lead us, yeah. lead us right. on so, it, Amy. <laughs> so the parousia is the second coming. And so okay. I wouldn't want people to be confused when they, when they read uh, verse gotcha. 23 and think, okay, the Bible is not even true because Jesus said he would come like he would return before the, the Jews had even, the, the, excuse me, the apostles had even gone to just the cities of Israel. Mm-hmm. But if you if you if we knew Greek and we were used to reading it directly, we would see that, you know, two different words are being used and he's referring to his uh oh what's it called? Like the when he was seen with Moses and Elijah. So Oh the um Transfiguration. The Transfiguration, Transfiguration. right. So he's he's referring to the Transfiguration, but in English it both of them sound like the second coming. Gotcha. So like, wait a second. Yeah. So I don't know. Things like that have caused people to stumble. And I just thought we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah. No, that is a good point because, um, you know, because what, what did he put? He put the, the glory. How did he put it? You said verse 23. Let me look that up because I do remember reading that. Before the sun. Okay. Before the son of man comes is the way it's in the new. the new. Well, yeah. Before the son of man comes. But he's already been referring himself to himself as the son of man. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you said comes into his, did you say comes into his glory? I'm not sure what translation that would be, but uh, could be talking about the transfiguration. It could even just be talking about the whole passion story. You know, the, the, the uh, crucifixion and resurrection. When you see that culmination of what Jesus came for, you know, to me, that is mm-hmm. a large part of the glory of Jesus to me, even more so than the transfiguration of him standing there with Moses and Elijah. But when he performs the task that he came for, when he succeeds in what we at the surface would not see as success, when he when he does what he said he's doing, that is his glory. As we look back and see, wow, he did that. He died. He came back. He defeated evil at that moment so say that again amy what are, what is the greek translation the greek word so, and what it means erkomai um just means comes actually uh but parousia is the word that he uses in matthew 24 so when he's talking about the second coming when he says as lightning comes out of the east and goes into the west so shall it be when the son of man comes so mm-hmm. The parousia is the appearing. It's like the stripping off of the, you know, the, the darkness that we live in, you know, like C.S. Lewis calls it the silent planet. And we'll suddenly see the spiritual world. He, Jesus calls that the second coming. He calls that the parousia. And, and he's using a different word, erikomai, which simply means to come. So I, yeah, uh, I just thought, well, that's probably kind of important. Because people might read this this text and think, well, he didn't come, you know, so that's all. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up among skeptics, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good thing to point out. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I did not know that. And 
I, I didn't understand that phrase when we read it. I figured it had some kind of meaning that I just wasn't grasping. I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. I, did, did, uh, I didn't take it literally, and then therefore there's a hole in the gospel. I just assumed that there was some kind of figurative meaning that I didn't understand. Yeah, he's just, he's using two completely different words. It's like when he says in John three sixteen, you know, that that you might not perish. That's not the same word that he uses when he says that Lazarus has fallen asleep. You know, mm. so so the Greek is helpful in understanding that, you know, Jesus understood death as like this, you know, terrible thing that we understand it as. But he understands our normal death as just sleep, you know, so mm. same kind of thing where it's like a completely different word. And so he is probably being very specific when he says, you know, yeah. I will come back. And then we translate it into English and go, oh, that's weird. Right, right, right. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, I didn't mean to gloss over that, I guess, but as as I was reading it, I I to me, of course, it uh, maybe it's from you know, my familiarity with scripture somewhat or and that just I uh I didn't take that necessarily to mean his second coming. I took it more to be just a glorification, his glory, you know, when you when you see what I'm here for. Mm. You you still won't have been throughout all of Israel, and so interesting. Okay, that's yeah. um, well. Thank you for but, letting me say that. No, absolutely, because you're absolutely right. I'm sure that that is the kind that is a phrase that has probably tripped some people up over time, and it's yeah. worth and it's certainly worth worth talking about because I, I you know I've heard phrases similar to that before, where people are like, well, you know, people uh, people did die before before he came back, you know. Um, cause as we get closer to the crucifixion and I can't think of right exactly where it is now, but he said, some of you will not see death until mm-hmm. you see the uh, son of man coming. Yeah. Until you see the son of man coming. And, um, you know, or no, until you, no, it actually says until you see the son of man in glory. Yeah. And people have taken that to mean the second coming, but then people go, well, those people are dead. And you're like, well, yeah, you're right. So that couldn't have been what he meant, you know? Uh, so we have to think what, what is Jesus's glory? What, you know, where, where is he glorified the most? Is it in the second coming or is it in the culmination of his mission, which was at the cross? To me, it's at the cross. The, 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 the second coming to me is like the cherry on top of the cake, but it's not the culmination necessarily of what Jesus's mission was while he was here. So I looked up that verse and that's Matthew 16, verse 28. Uh, there are some of you who are standing here who will not taste death until you see the son of man in uh, son of man coming in his kingdom. OK, so that sounds pretty, pretty direct. But then right away in verse or chapter 17, we have the transfiguration. So they see him. Mm. With Moses and Elijah in all his glory, and they're they're suddenly overcome, like they realize who he really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and then he, you know, he he said in his kingdom. Well, what's the kingdom that he's been talking about? It says a lot of times we want to say, oh, the the realm in heaven where where Jesus and the angels live now, but that wasn't what he was talking about when he was here. That's in in no sense. When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, is he talking about a physical place where they're going and living? He's talking about right. that. The he's talking about that philosophy, that mindset, 
that that movement that he is trying to get people on board with that is his kingdom and that comes into play at the resur- at the crucifixion too i think when he's talking to those thieves but um but yeah thank you for bringing bringing that up i think that was a good uh, an important point yeah, to make out that. did we miss anything no. else amy <laughs> no <laughs> no because I, I i i hate cutting people off i don't like getting to the end and going oh i wish we would have talked about this you know <laughs> so yeah so that you know that is largely the mission the the message that jesus is telling us be prepared but even the simplest even the simplest kindnesses will be rewarded it's a powerful chapter i think all righty well that is matthew 10 next week we will dive into matthew chapter 14 Oh, let's take a look at that real quick. See what we're going to be talking about there. We, oh yes, this is when we talk about John the Baptist's death um, and a few other things. Uh, so it's going to be doing some pretty cool miracles. So we don't want to uh, lose our head over it. <laughs> Hardy horror. <Ugh. laughs> Come on, Karen. No. Yeah. <laughs> All righty, so next week we'll be talking about Matthew chapter 14. While you are reading that and waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attvpodcast at theadventure.org. Check us out on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in the feed each and every week. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.